My name is Keith Beavers, and this is the last episode of the season. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 32 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair, and wow, how are you? This is the last episode of season one. Wow. I think it's important that we all have a nice, well-rounded conversation about Tuscany. What goes on in the hills of Tuscany? What is Tuscany all about? Is it just Chianti? No, it's more than that. Let's get into it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Lux Wines. Lux Wines is an importer of luxury wines from prestigious wineries around the world. Carefully curated, the Lux Wines collection showcases an evolving selection of the finest wines from some of the most revered winemaking families. We are the storytellers and stewards of their family legacies, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Discover our exceptional wines and esteemed winemaking families at luxwines.com. I can't thank you guys enough for the support you've given this podcast. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. This being the last episode, I'm just kind of thinking back on all this and how much fun I've had. I loved every episode. I love doing this stuff. Thank you for all the engagement on Instagram, all your reviews, your listenership. Thank you for being part of the Vine Pair family and just reading Vine Pair and being a part of it, helping you guys learn. I just, I don't ever want to stop doing this, ever. And that's cool because season two is coming. Oh yeah, we're working on it now. It is churning out and it's going to be coming to you on January 27th. And we're going to build off of what we did in season one. We're going to talk, we're going to dive deep into like terroir. I mean, we're going to dive deep into the dirt of that. We're going to talk about new regions, Chile. We're going to do a little more detail on Argentina. We're going to talk about South Africa. We're going to talk about new grapes like Moscato. Like what's Moscato? And we've had a lot of listeners ask about ports. So we're going to talk about port. And then I get to talk about this crazy thing called phylloxera that I've been hinting at a lot throughout season one. It's a, it's a story. Get ready for that one. That's going to be crazy. Okay. I want to get to Tuscany. But I just want to let you guys know, thank you. You're the best. Let's keep this going. Right? Cool. So let's talk about Tuscany. Now, the thing is, in next season, another thing we're going to be talking a lot about, we're going to do this really kind of deep dive into Chianti and the grape Sangiovese. So I'm not going to go deep into that. That story is really fun. It's going to be awesome. But I want to give you an overview of Tuscany because, you know, we know Chianti. You know, we probably know that word. We know it's a wine. You may be familiar with the term Super Tuscan, which is a wine kind of that popped up in the 70s and the 80s and became all the rage on the American market. You may know about Brunello di Montalcino, which is sort of a Johnny-come-lately noble wine, wine region in Tuscany. But there's something about Tuscany that, to understand the whole region, just to get a sense of Tuscany is important. Because Tuscany, this is like, you know, this is, the, this is where, you know, Italian culture and, and language and art and everything sort of was formed, specifically around the town of Florence. And because of that deep-rooted or embedded history, there's more documentation about the history of this place, this region, than a lot of other regions in Italy. And the historical activity between the town of Florence and the town of Siena, south of that, is some really fun stuff. And in season two, we're going to talk a lot about that. But I want to give you sort of just an overview of Tuscany because there are tons of Tuscan wine on our market. 
and it can be a little bit overwhelming because it's just it's one of those regions that we have we just have such a connection to. A really cool way to understand Tuscany and wine is that what Tuscany really is is a celebration of one variety and that variety's ability to express itself in different ways within one region. The Sangiovese grape, which again, we're going to get a little more deeper into next season, is grown mostly throughout the central part of Italy. And Tuscany takes up the majority of the central part of Italy. And one thing about Sangiovese, I mean, every grape loves a hill. Am I right? (laughs) Every grape loves a good hill with drainy soils and good sun exposure. But Sangiovese legit thrives on these hills. I mean, if you were to put Sangiovese in a lower-lying area, it'll grow, but it will not do what it does on hills. And it just so happens that Tuscany is 68% officially hills. 68%, one region. Only 8% of the region is flat. And I say that because there's some Sangiovese there. We'll talk about that. But what happens with Tuscany is it starts on the coast in a place that's called the Marema, and it works its way inland, and as the hills get higher and higher and more undulating and higher and more undulating, and it gets up to like 18 to 2,000 feet above sea level as you go inland from the coast. And that's when things get really interesting. You have all different kinds of elevations, all different opportunities for good sun exposure, and a ton of different kinds of soils. There's actually famous soils in these lands, but it's a very... It is a wide variety of soils. And all these conditions are perfect for Sangiovese. And all of the regions that we know and some that we don't know pretty much all lie within these hills. And it's so unique because the Sangiovese grape, just in one region, again, just in one region, it has different names depending on where you are in Tuscany. And those names are based off the clonal selections that they've made over the years. But it's also just because of the expression the varieties give. They're different expressions. And that's just a great way to understand Tuscany. When you're drinking wine from Tuscany, you're drinking Sangiovese in different expressions. Now, the thing is, there are places in Tuscany that, that, do, that plant and make international varieties. Those are often done in areas where Sangiovese doesn't really thrive as much, but it can grow, but they're using other varieties to supplement. They don't don't want to get rid of Sangiovese. It's their their grape, but in certain areas, it's just not as as plentiful in the blends. But that's the fun part about Tuscan wine, especially as a wine lover, is you get a chance, like, I mean, whatever wine you're drinking from Tuscany, it's probably going to be an expression of the Sangiovese grape. I mean, there's going to, sometimes it's not, it's going to be a small amount. It's not going to really be in there, but Sangiovese always has a presence in this area. In Chianti, the Sangiovese grape is bright and aromatic, cranberries and cherries, and just has a good amount of acidity because it's in these hills with this drainy soils. And even if it's blended with like Merlot or something else, it still retains that sort of kind of rustic elegance. And the thing about, that's a kind of a, a general statement because within Chianti itself, there's all these different communes that express the grape in different ways within, you know, that region, that, that subregion itself. And then if you go south of the Chianti Hills, you go into a town called Montalcino. And this is one of the most arid, dry patches of Tuscany. And in the 
early to mid-19th century, a man by the name of Ferruccio Biondi Sandi isolated a clone of Sangiovese from one of his vineyards. The technical name of the Sangiovese in his vineyard was called Sangiovese Grosso, which means a big, it's, it's a big grape. But the Sangiovese that Ferruccio isolated was not your typical Sangiovese grape. This was a grape that he found, this is a clone of Sangiovese that was truly acclimated to the dry, arid climate of this area and made more concentrated red wines. His goal was to make a wine that would age longer than the wines of Chianti, let's say. Chianti ages about 10, 15 years. He wanted to go longer. So he created this powerful, big, structured wine from a Sangiovese grape that he called Brunello, and that's where Brunello di Montalcino came from. So where Chianti is kind of almost elegant rustic, Brunello di Montalcino is big and structured, and it needs time. Like it has to, before it's even on the market, it has to age for four years, including two of those years in barrel and four months in the bottle before it's out onto the market and five years for the Reserva. And you can't blend anything with this. This has to be 100% Brunello. If it's anything else, it's a crime. Literally, in 2008, there were people that were caught blending Syrah and Merlot into the Brunello di Montalcino, and they went to jail. It was a thing. It was called Brunello Gate. Seriously. South of Montalcino is a town called Montepulciano, and in that township, there is a very famous wine called Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, and originally it was all Sangiovese, but today you can actually put some Cab and Merlot and Syrah into the blend, but it's kind of going back now. People, More and more people are just doing Sangiovese and another um, uh, native grape called Canaiolo, and the result of that, that sort of old school blend of Vino Nobile di Montepulciano is this really awesome kind of uh, dances between Brunello di Montalcino and Chianti. It has sort of the bright elegance of a Chianti, and it's, but it still has kind of the structure of Brunello di Montalcino. It's really awesome. If you bring a little canaiolo in there, it kind of makes it nice and earthy. There are Vino Nobile di Montepulciano's that are just, you know, they have some Cabernet, some Merlot, and some Sangiovese, and it's more of a modern-style wine, and they're really delicious, but the sort of old-school stuff is emerging again, and it's really awesome. And these are just examples of, you know, Sangiovese in these hills at different elevations, different soils, expressing themselves in different ways, and what's so cool is all these wines are available on the American market. There's a ton of Italian wine on the American market. You can really explore this stuff pretty easily. And as we start heading west, out of the hills, towards the flatlands, towards the coast, the hills get a little bit lower, then we get into like, you know, flatlands. And as you head west towards the coast, there's another famous wine region you're gonna recognize on the American market called Moralino di Scansano. And here, they actually call Sangiovese Moralino. Moralino di Scansano, makes sense, right? And because of the lower-lying hills, and because it getting, it's getting closer to the coast, the, you get a little more sun, it's a little bit warmer, and the wines are a little more, they're kind of full body. They're not on the level of Brunello di Montalcino, but they have a nice fullness to them. They only have to be 85% Sangiovese. They can put other stuff in there, like Cab or Syrah or Merlot, but they're really awesome wines if you get a chance. And they're also very affordable, too. You can get a Morlino di Scansano for like 15, 20 bucks. And just before we hit the coast, there's a newish wine region called Monte Cucco. And 
it, we're seeing some of it on the American market. Um, they're kind of full-bodied Sangioveses, and it really is so new. It has a lot of potential, but it hasn't really been defined yet. But we'll see it being defined over the next, you know, 10 or 15 years or so. And then we get to the coast. And this is what's really interesting about Tuscany. In these lower-lying areas, Sangiovese doesn't really... It, it grows. It's fine. But Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot... Petit Verdot, Cab Franc, all these Bordeaux varieties do better in the in this area than Sangiovese. And this is the area where back in the 1960s, well, actually, actually all the way back to 1940s, people were making wine not from Sangiovese, but from Cabernet Sauvignon. And this area is called the Marema which is, you know, it's a reference to mare, the sea. And it itself is a wine region, and it's huge. It's, it's huge. But in the Marema, in a town called Bulgari in the 1940s, a man with a fairly long name, Marchese Mario Incisa de la Roqueta, he planted Cabernet Sauvignon for literally a house wine in the 1940s on his son Guido estate. And he labeled that wine... Sasikaya. And this became one of the first super Tuscans that, you know, we'll talk about in season two, but became a really big trend in this area. By the 1970s, there were other winemakers doing the same thing that he was doing, and the super Tuscan thing kind of blew up because this area of Tuscany, Sangiovese, isn't as prominent as Bordeaux varieties. And actually, Bulgari was only really known for white wine and rosés because, you know, it's on the coast. But then this thing happens. So in 1964, they had to rewrite the rules to add red wine. And in doing so, they gave Sasikaya its own DOC, its own appellation. So the estate itself, and this is the only place in the world where the estate itself is a wine appellation. You're also going to see wines from Marema. It's becoming very popular on the American market. And this is, the Marema is a very large, loosely drawn appellation that covers the entire sort of coastline here of Tuscany, almost the entire coastline of Tuscany. It's a big kind of catch-all wine appellation. And you're going to see wines from Marema on the American market. It's becoming very prominent. But it's just all, I mean, you name it. It's all kinds of blends. It's, it's all kinds of reds. Merlot is there, Sangiovese is there, Petit Verdot, Carignan, Syrah, it's everything. So they're just kind of the red blend phenomenon we have here in the United States. The Marema kind of feeds into that sort of love for red blends, big, full-bodied, more modern in style. And that's, I mean, that's not everything. <laughs> but that gives you a sense of, that kind of help, I hope that it helps you understand Tuscany a little bit more because it really just is different expressions of Sangiovese. And the, the Sangiovese grape has different names depending on where it's grown because of, you know, just because of history and because of just, a, you know, just to identify it as its own. You know, Tuscan winemakers in these different regions, they want you to know that this is not just a Sangiovese. This is a Morellino di Scansano. This is a Brunello di Montalcino. And even though it's Sangiovese, this is our expression of this grape. Now, the thing about Tuscany is it's not all red wine. It's not all Sangiovese all the time. There is white wine in Tuscany. It's just not as, um, 
and not, it's not as prominent. I mean, there's a grape called Vermentino that has grown throughout Tuscany, and it doesn't really have an appellation. I mean, I think Monte Cucco has it has Vermentino in its appellation, but it's not kind of a prominent grape in Tuscany. But what is is a grape called Vernaccia. Now, Vernaccia is mostly grown around the town of San Gimignano. And there is a, a, an appellation there called Vernaccia di San Gimignano. And what's interesting about that is that white wine region is the first appellation, the first DOC awarded to Tuscany was a white wine <laughs> growing region. I mean, you would think that, you know, Chianti would be the first, but no, it was a white, it was Vernaccia. Vernaccia di San Gimignano is a beautiful white wine, and it's just not as popular just because of the popularity of Sangiovese. I mean, you can't mess with, with its prominence in this region. But that's kind of an overview of, kind of a conversation of the overview of the wine of Tuscany, which basically revolves around Sangiovese. And, you know, in the second season, we're going to get into a bunch of other stuff. We're going to talk about Brunello di Montalcino. We're going to talk about Chianti. And in doing that, we're going to get a better sense of the history of Tuscany, the wine laws, the drama, and all that stuff. A lot of the stuff you probably wish I was talking about right now is going to happen in this in the next season with a little more detail. It's going to be a little more fun because we're going to be able to like really dive into the the sort of like subtleties of these awesome Italian wine regions. And that's it. That's season one. In the books, Wine 101. Guys, I cannot wait for season two, January 27th. Follow me on Instagram in the meantime, at Keith, and let's do this. I'm just letting this ride out because this song by Darby Seasai is just... Okay, I probably have to do some stuff now. All right, fine, 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 fine. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine. Check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePearKeith. And also, you got to follow VinePear on Instagram, which is at VinePear. And don't forget to listen to the VinePear podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the Vine Pear staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Lux Wines. Lux Wines is an importer of luxury wines from prestigious wineries around the world. Carefully curated, the Lux Wines collection showcases an evolving selection of the finest wines from some of the most revered winemaking families. We are the storytellers and stewards of their family legacies, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Discover our exceptional wines and esteemed winemaking families at luxwines.com.